the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 120. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Unruffled listeners. We just wanted to let you guys know a couple of things at the top of the show. You can go to my website, www.theunruffled.com, and scroll down to the bottom of the page to sign up for a free guide. Yes, you heard me, free guide. And it is called 10 Ways to Expand Your Recovery Through Creativity. Uh, I'd love to send it to you. It's all my best work. And I'm going to let Tammy take it from here. Yeah. And um, if you guys want to go to my website, TammySolace.com, I'm offering the Proof of Life Project in July and August this year. You can sign up there. There's links to tell you all about the programs. And I also just released a new book called um, Proof of Life, and it's a 60-page illustrated gratitude journal. I've done all the work for you with watercolors, and you can put your lists on top. And that's $20 in my store. All right. You guys enjoy the show. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Sandra. How are you? I am great this morning, and I'm so excited to have you co-host the show with me. I am thrilled. I'm so. I'm. Thank you so much for asking me. It's. Uh, I'm. I, I'm excited. I can't even phrase it. I'm stumbling over my words. So. Uh, <laughs> I hope I didn't set myself up for failure now so, <laughs> with the expectations. But thank you for for having me. Um. I think this is going to be great. And, you know, for our listeners who are just tuning in to this series and saying, uh, where the hell is Tammy and who is this dude? Tammy and I, in an effort to give each other a break this summer, we decided to take on co-hosts. And you were the one of the first people I thought of, Paul, because I just really like you. I've known you in the social media sober sphere for a couple of years now, for several years now, I guess. And in a minute, I will try to verbally remember where I virtually met you, Paul. But, um, you were one of the first people I talked to, I, th- I thought of, that I wanted to have co-hosts with me because I, f- I think most of my listeners, most of our listeners know this probably about me, but I'm very attracted to people that have a slight irreverence, that don't take themselves too seriously, and have a great sense of humor, and that's you, Paul. Oh, blush. Thank you. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if those are things that are are qualities, but I would hope that you would you would you would think of them as that. <laughs> I take them with full full gratitude, and thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, 
and it's funny because uh, you and I had talked, I had talked about something else that I'd started working on. And, and funny enough, you were, I think the first or second person that came to mind. So I, I like how there was that sort of um, uh, symbiotic kind of thing going on and just, and yeah, like, you know, we've, we've, we've known each other for a little bit, you know, in and out, not always uh, intent, intensely so, but it's, it's amazing when you're in this kind of world, this kind of, you know, stratosphere, you know, you get, you really make connections with people because of what we're talking about how we approach it and, and how we're open to it all those kind of connections they're, they're not light you know they're 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 they can be really strong like the, the bonds that come with this so um you know i'm just i'm just thrilled that we can connect like this right now because back in the day it was just all the written word now we're doing this kind of thing which is super awesome cool i know i know i know well okay so before we get into it for our listeners who don't know who you are can you tell everyone who you are, what you do? And that's a very broad question, but maybe to narrow it down in the context of why you would be on a podcast about recovery and creativity. Okay. Well that, yeah, that that's broad, but you know, it's, um, and God, how, how do you people not know who I am? <laughs> I know, kidding. right? Holy how? ego. Um, <laughs> My name is Paul So. So I, um, I started, I, I myself in recovery. So let's just start with that. Um, just over eight years now. And um, I had started a blog, Message in a Bottle uh, blog. Excellent. Um, back, yeah, back in the day. And it's still there. It's not officially retired, but I, I, I don't post in it. I rarely now, but it's still open. And um, from there, I started, I met some amazing people like yourself, Sandra. And um, and from there I decided to just open it up. So I started a podcast, uh, buzzkill and that is still going. I did retire that for a bit, but brought it back, uh, resuscitated it. And, and that, you know, and that is recovery, um, kind of through the lens of, you know, spirituality and mindset. And, you know, I do put some humor in there as much as I can. And, um, and from there, you know, I started, uh, I wrote a book, uh, mm -hmm. Longing for the Spirit, and, and that came out November 2017. And that too is on recovery. It's a lot of, actually, it's a lot of the blog um, entries that were uh, beefed up and worked over. Um, and also just some new material, absolutely. And so that, that, that's, you know, it's like a 370 page book. So it, it's sizable. And that came out. And since then, I, I you know, I've become a life coach. I was a chef for all those years. And, and it's funny because it all kind of circles back because I do work with some people in, in addiction recovery, people who've got some time on their feet. And, uh, and I have a new podcast called Longing for the Spirit. So I, I've incorporated the recovery stuff, you know, with the spirituality and, and also the coaching. So it, it's kind of cool. I get to juggle these three things and, and kind of bring them together. And so I've been doing, you know, the podcast and, you know, the blog's been around for about, I don't know, four or five years, maybe. Yeah. And uh, the amount of people I've met is, is unbelievable. And people that I've spoken to and, and just along this path, as you know, Sandra, all the, all the people that you meet and the stories that you hear. Right. And, you know, that's what, that, that's what got me into writing and, and doing that. I've always, I've always written. And for the longest time, I was reluctant to write the book. Um, uh, but I, I'm so glad I got it out there. And, you know, as you know, anytime we tell our story, you know, we don't know who we're reaching. Right. And so it wasn't for me necessarily I wrote the book. It's just for anyone who, who might be 
you know, wobbling around trying to figure this thing out and, and knowing that just people ahead of you that have done it and are doing it makes a world of difference. Right. Right. And, uh, your blog, yeah, was so good. And, and I don't think that that's how I, I found you. I'm trying to think. So you, were you ever on since right now? I was just about to say, and it's funny. I think it was through those guys. Yeah. So it's funny because I'm, and this is totally by accident. I am wearing the since right now t-shirt that I got. (laughs) So serendipitous how that works. Uh, but yes, I was originally, uh, it was since right now with Chris and, and Jeff and I can't remember. Matt. Cat's name. Matt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it was Chris and Jeff when it started. Right. And uh, they they were kind enough to, to bring me in and help me um, when I started with the, the, the podcast. And then eventually when I just like, you know, five or six, uh, I don't know how many uh, episodes in, but I started just doing it all on my, on my own, the production and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, little birdie flew the nest and um yeah, I think that's where that's where we connected. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And then I, you were, are you still pretty active on Twitter? Because that's, I think that's where I probably got to know you a little bit better was was on Twitter. And I was, and, and there's a pretty good um, sobriety recovery uh, uh, base there on Twitter. And I, and yeah. I, I think you know, I think a lot of women tend to be well. See, I'm totally going to generalize here, but I'm going to go for it. It's, I feel like there's a big contingency of women on Instagram and fewer on Twitter. Am I right about that? Well, well, to your first part, yes, uh, I am still active on Twitter. It's more of a personal account, but there, mm-hmm. there is what they call, you know, hashtag recovery posse. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's funny. I was just talking to someone about this. It, it comes and goes. People are, it's like, it's, like it's, uh, there's a few core people there still. But people come and go, mm-hmm. and that's just also the nature of recovery, and that's the nature of social media. Right. And and I've met in person, like I don't know, at least ten or twelve people from Twitter, and they're exactly how they are, uh, you know, in person as they are uh, online. Um, you know, the whole thing about and you you mentioned this is a big thing that I've talked about in the past, and I, I talk in general is with the one thing I noticed with blogging, um, I'd say ninety percent of the bloggers were were women. Right. And I struggled with that at the beginning because I'm like, where are my dudes? Like, where are these guys? Come on, guys. You know, let's get a bromance, something. Let's, let's, let's go, man. And it was very challenging, you know, to, to connect with other men because, you know, the idea, and I, I, I actually, the first interview I, I did with someone, it was a, a friend, and we talked about this a little bit, um, is, you know, and I'm finding more and more is that in general, and again, we're talking generalities, but I find in general, women seek community. Right. Right. Women, like what, what makes like your podcast and, and so many others successful is because it's, it's for women by women. And, and there's a lot of support, like just tons of support. And, 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 and women will like, you know, with the comments or calls or emails, whatever it is, there's a lot of support for men. That's not really there. It's not innate. It's not natural. That's not how we do. <laughs> we are societally kind of, you know, we, we go as lone wolves. Right, right. And, and you and should so be able to push through um, just on your own, you know, self-will and, and self-generated strength. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good way to put it. It's 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 you know asking for help is weakness for mm-hmm. for men. It's mm-hmm. you know how you can't do it on your own. Would you some wuss? You know, it's that no one's saying that. It's it's underscored. It's it's unwritten, but that's also what they hear in their heads. That's what we hear, and so men, especially when it comes to online, they don't seek that. They don't seek the community either. Now, a lot of them might go to you know church basement meetings and and that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of the online, it's not natural for us to kind of go and seek that. It's not like I, I, I wish I, you know, I'd love to, to get together with a bunch of men and hear their stories and relate. We don't think like that. We don't say that for, for women. That's like, it's almost natural to do that. And uh, I had written about it and I'd spoken about it because it perplexed me. But then I understood, well, that's, you know, gen- again, just generalizing. Um, right. Men generally don't go that way. And even when I would purposely i purposely wrote blog posts okay guys i'd love to hear from you it was all women that responded <laughs> it was like no it was like okay ladies i love you but i'm i'm trying to connect with you know my homies you know my posse and mm-hmm. but it's 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 really challenging you know it's really challenging but, yeah, but once I you think- get them there you can get them Right. Yeah. I remember one time where uh, you and I were having a conversation and you offered that hypothesis that, that men in recovery, and it was in reference to podcast listeners. I think you, you said something like you kind of hypothesized that men were less likely to listen to recovery based podcasts, um, than women. And I, I, it was something that I hadn't really thought about. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. Um, I, you know, I think, I think a lot of men probably, you know, there's no denying that podcasters like Rich Roll or Mark Marin are, you know, very popular podcasters and they are both in recovery, but it's not the focus of their podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. And, I, I think there's, and I guess it depends on how, you know, you, you look at someone like Joe Rogan or, you know, these mega super guys, uh, you know, on, on podcasts. And I even think of the, the, the people that I follow uh, who aren't in recovery, but, but well-known, let's say with marketing or whatever, there's, there's, there's an edge to them. There's a kind of macho kind of edge. And, and I don't know if that makes a lot of men feel safe kind of in a weird way that they can go to that. Um, I think when it goes to, uh, you know, maybe softer or spiritual, and then obviously, of course, some, you know, men are very spiritual and stuff, but I, I think when it comes to these kind of things, a podcast and stuff, it, it's, I find that the reader, the, the listenership is, is predominantly women mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm not sure. I still don't fully understand. I, you know, it's, there are men out there who listen to pot. Absolutely. And, and there are men who are online, uh, who, who do great work. Um, but it's, it's just one, one in a blue moon. What, like they're there, but I think that the, the ground, the grassroots support isn't as strong as it is with, with women. And it's just a different way of operating. It's just a different way of coming to things. It's a different, uh, it's a different approach. Um, but for me, as long as, as they're getting the message, then that's the most important thing. How, how, how they get it, you know, is, is, is different. You know, they're, they're, they're supported, but it's quietly, they quietly support. It's not like, 
okay, community get together, you know, camaraderie, bang drums in the middle of the, the woods. You know, right. Like um, but it, it can be perplexing. But again, I, I know that people, are, guys are getting the message. It's just that they're not as vocal. They might be more like the lurkers who kind of stay quiet. Right, right. Well, and, and, you know, speaking about, of men in recovery, I mean, I remember the first time I heard a man in a 12 step meeting speak that was like really, really vulnerable. I mean, I was, I was kind of taken down to my core and it's not that, you know, I mean, I have men in my life. My husband is, is, uh, you know, he, he will definitely voice weaknesses and go there. Um, but it was, you know, seeing men speak in a, in like a 12 step meeting was the first time I heard that voice, I think really like a really strong, but vulnerable man, uh, you know, express a weakness or express something he was struggling with. And it just, I don't know, it just gave me uh, really good feelings about about men in recovery. I don't know. It really changed my perspective a lot about, uh, about men and, and masculinity and, and just seeing a, a man be vulnerable in that way. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and that's a great observation and I feel the same. And that's where, that's where I learned, Sandra, that's where I learned that um, it was okay to hug another man. Mm -hmm. I, that's where I learned that it was okay to say, I love you to another man in a, in a platonic or intimate and to be intimate with another man. And, and again, that's not, not, um, not sexual. Right. Um, because you know, here's an example. So this is, this is, and it took me time to, to piece, you know, put the, the, you know, the dots together. So, uh, I, I had someone that I was working with and he was, he was, uh, he was helping me out in my journey early on. And you know, he, he worked certain hours and all that. So we can only get together at night. And so that was great after a meeting or something. And he would take me to like a park and a park bench. And we just sitting there alone, <laughs> a park bench. And it was really awkward for me at the beginning. Right. Because I've never sat on a park bench with another man at, in the dark you know, that just immediately brought me to like, well, that's something I would do with, if someone, if I was, you know, a, a girl that was, I was a woman I was interested in, like that right. would be like, make my smooth move, you know, but it was really awkward. I'd be sitting at the other end of the bench and I thought, this is really weird. I just, you know, and I got used to it. And, and as, as we spoke and got closer, um, that's where the shift happened for me. Like that we, like that you can be intimate like emotionally intimate and vulnerable and all that with another man and it and it feel okay because mm -hmm. what had occurred to me and this was years later was for a lot of men we attach intimacy with sexuality right. we when when see for for and correct me if I'm wrong, I think for with women, they can be in emotionally intimate and it's just, it's just, they're just friends. It's just, but that's, sure. that's almost normal. Mm -hmm. It's just like, that's how, but for men, we, we, we have tied sexuality to that or, right. or romance. And so being emotionally intimate is awkward. It's, it's, un, it's again, it, it doesn't feel natural. I'm just, that's my experience or, right. but I do, I've spoken to lots and lots of men about this kind of thing and, and they've, kind of agreed. And so breaking down that barrier was huge uh, for me, especially in learning 
how to be, how to operate, how to be vulnerable, you know, using vulnerability as a strength amongst other men and women. Um, because, you know, it's so easy for, for men to open up to women. You know, if you're a sister and you have two or three brothers, believe me, they're always coming to you when it comes to the emotional stuff. Right. Um, men are not used to being, bringing that to each other. And in recovery, that is what I learned. And, and I try to use that outside of recovery. Um, but there's always resistance. Yeah. But definitely recovery was a place where I, I, that was one of my greatest lessons is that you can be this, you can do that. And you can have that voice, the one that you just described, like that voice that you don't hear very often. But in the recovery circles, it's, it's, it's common, it's, it's normal. And it should be kind of across all other aspects of our lives. Right, because I can only imagine that it improved your relationship with your spouse and uh, with your children and coworkers. And I mean, it's just like that part of that essential healing that takes place when you're in recovery. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you become as you, and it doesn't mean you can be vulnerable and not be opening up and crying. <laughs> right. You know, you share something. It's like, it's like, sir, this is Starbucks. I, I just, what's your order? And right. then I wasn't hooked. You know, like it does, you know, it's, it's just not that, <laughs> but you can, you can, you can be vulnerable you know, with the humility and just you, even in the workplace and people will come and you'll know because people will come to you with things. Right. Because they, they pick up on the fact that, that you're open. You're not, you're not, you know, broadcasting to the world, your, your stuff, but people pick up on the vibration. They, they feel that, that this is a person that I, I, just feel comfortable opening up rated or, or shown that kind of vulnerability. And it's such a huge thing, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Because then they know, right. They, uh, it's a, it's a expressed empathy or, um, uh, just that, um, you know, there's nothing like, um, hearing your story reflected back to you from somebody else, even if you are in, you know, two separate situations, your circumstances may look different, but just knowing that somebody has sort of walked in your path or, um, you know, there's nothing more comforting than that. But, um, a lot of times, um, you know, some, you wouldn't know that, um, unless somebody sort of expressed that side of themselves or took you down a road of a, you know, from a story from your past or something like that. And I think that that happens in the, can happen in the workplace, even in a sort of you, cause you were a chef, right? So that's pretty a male dominated, um, environment. Uh, I would think, I mean, I, I know that there's way more female chefs now than there are probably even were 20 years ago when I, or 30 years ago, I guess, when I started in the service industry. Um, but it's still probably pretty uh, testosterone charged right back there in the kitchen. Yeah, it can be. Absolutely. And, you know, there's, uh, it's changing, uh, yeah. as you alluded to. Um, I, in the last 10, 15, 15, 20 years, I was more in corporate uh, areas of, of, uh, the hospitality industry. Um, but certainly things are changing. Um, a lot of that macho, that toxic masculinity, um, mm -hmm. it's starting to, to, starting to, to 
slog off a little bit. Um, is it all gone? No. And you know, it's not just, it's not just, you know, restrained to that industry, but, um, certainly there was a lot of that type of energy, uh, in, as I moved up and, and I had to battle that, you know, I had to battle a lot of that and, um, you know, just, just standing up for, you know, what, what, you know, what it was like for the lone female, let's say in the kitchen and just kind of, um, helping her navigate that because I knew what these guys were like and it was, I thought it was awful, but it, you know, being vulnerable and being open, as you said, and just that expressed empathy, um, it, it makes for better conversations. Mm hmm across all areas. It just makes for better, deeper, more impressionable, impressionable um, conversations. And whether it's with your kids or the neighbor or um, it, it just, it just opens things up more, you know, right. and, and things are, it's not so surface level and there's nothing wrong with small talk. I, I just, I prefer when someone comes to me that we can kind of get to the root of things and just really talk. And, and that comes from that vulnerability that comes from been through, having been through stuff. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. We have gone through some stuff. And I wonder if you think that this would only be available to you because you are uh, a person in recovery. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've thought of that many times. I really don't think I'd be the person I was that I am now if it weren't for recovery. Like nice. I had to hit like the major bottoms and I, and that's plural bottoms. I had to crash through them over and over to finally crack open, uh, my ego and just that, that dissonance that I had in my life and just, just get almost rebuilt, you know, or just to crack open and just observe and, and finally get in touch with, you know, my higher self. There's no way I would have gotten to that point if I hadn't crash through those bottoms. There's just, it's, you know, I, I may have just touched upon it. I may have danced around it. Uh, but to get to the core, you really need to be, uh, examining things. And why would you be examining things? Because things are broken. <laughs> things aren't right. working. And, you know, if someone, if things are going well for someone, there's things are going well, there, there's no reason to, to examine things. But when we, when we go through hell, uh, we're looking to repair. We're looking to, to maybe not repair. I, I don't like to say that we're broken, but you know, we were in a place where we weren't uh, fully whole. We, right. weren't, we weren't there. And so, you know, being in recovery has been as much as it was hell for a while. Uh, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to talk about you transitioning out of the service industry into what you're currently doing now, because I think our listeners will find that super interesting. But before that, I want to talk about being in the hospitality industry and being sober, because that's, I mean, talk <laughs> about being a unicorn. Um, <laughs> How long were you sober in the and then still working in the hospitality industry? Uh, it was about seven and a half years. Seven wow, years. Wow! Yeah, seven and a half years. So yeah, talk about that. <laughs> was, right. You know, um, as you know, I mean, you're surrounded by alcohol. I mean, that's part of 
it's just, it's just there. It's part of, you know, it's like, if you work in the circus, there's confettis and clowns. That's just, that, yeah. you know, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. You're just, if you have a clown fear, well, you guess what? Clown phobia. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And there were times where the, the, you know, I'd be in the kitchen and someone would, uh, a server would go by, whiz by with like a couple glasses of wine open and I'd catch a whiff and I'm like, Ooh, um, and then be like, well, what's that all about? Um, it's funny because in the book I had mentioned talking about, uh, having the keys. So when I was still active in drinking and, and in, the, in the kitchens, I had keys cause I was in pos- senior positions. I had the keys to the liquor room and I had the keys to it. It's like, Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you, handing the keys to the liquor room to an alcoholic is like handing the keys to the liquor room to an alcoholic. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> It's playtime. And uh, yeah, um, yeah I, and it was awful. And, um, you know, funny having the keys after, you know, we used to store, I store alcohol in, in my office and I'd forget about it. I'd forget that I have it. Some, some, some of the cooks would come, oh, I need some brandy. I'm like, oh yeah, I got, I got it here. It, it, it's an ingredient. It was just something I, I handled it. And right. I used it, and I it just became neutral. It I, the, that, yeah. that big book, that big blue book says it is supposed to be become. Yeah. It's, it's so strange, Sandra. Like you, you, here's this thing that you used to just hoard and jam down your pipe and just cause you all sorts of grief. And then it's just sitting there almost, it's just, it's a liquid. It's just sitting there. And, and how did this cause me so much pain and, and others in my life so much pain? And because it itself has not changed. It's still that liquid. Right. Well, Your circumstances have changed or yeah. have not changed. Uh, yeah. You've um, changed. Right. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, the, the service industry, you know, was uh, always a tangential career for me. It wasn't supposed to ever be my main gig, even though it, it did end up being my, my only source of income for a really long time, even though I was always saying that I was working on a creative career uh, on the side. I was really, you know, I was just spending too much of my energy and time drinking. So, you know, no mm-hmm. wonder that those things never got off the ground. Um, but I always say, you know, there was a reason why I wasn't working at a bank or at a, a target <laughs> or something, you know, I mean, <laughs> I was, I was, I put myself in the ring with the dragon and, um, you know, there was a reason for that. Uh, but you know, it's very, um, I tried to do some catering jobs and and some different things after I got sober and it was way too triggering for me. Uh, Mm. I I would probably be at a different place now that I'm coming on five years of sobriety, but um, Mm. thanks this week, actually. I I mean, it will have have happened when this uh, airs, but yes, I know. Very exciting. Um, but you know, like sometimes I will find if I get a if I have a waiter that's like really in the weeds. So for our listeners who don't know what in the weeds means, it just means that you are you have uh, seven tables that opened up 
and everyone sat down at the same time and you are trying to take everyone's drink order at once. <laughs> it's the most uh, <laughs> anxious um, moment that you could possibly be in while in in working in the service industry while, while working in a restaurant and you can be in the kitchen and be in the weeds. You can be a bartender and be in the weeds. Uh, The whole restaurant can be in the weeds at once. Um, It's a particularly bad feeling, but you know, it's going to end at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, if I have a waiter (laughs) that's in the weeds, like real, and I can tell that they're just sweating. It makes me, it feels triggering to me. It really does. Like I immediately think, Oh my God, I would pound like an entire bottle of tequila. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I commend anyone that can get sober and stay in the service industry. And a lot of times, you know, you don't have a choice. It's your career. Like uh, you, you were a chef and that you were probably trained to be a chef and you Mm -hmm. like, there was something about cuisine that, 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 that keeps you in that industry. You probably also like paying your bills. So perhaps that's what kept you in that industry. (laughs) Oh yeah, that too. But, Um, but yeah, yeah, I just, um, it, 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 it's just, it's just a challenge. Again, I commend anyone that gets sober in the service industry. We have mentioned on the podcast before that there are resources, um, now for people that are sober, there used to not be though. No, now there are. There's, there's, yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, I know, I know people in recovery who are bartenders. I don't get that. I cannot wrap my head around. I can't either, Paul. I, I can't. I, you know, as much as, I mean, you know, people might commend me for doing, I mean, for me, it was, it was, it was easy because there was safeguards in, in place, especially in, in larger places in corporate, because also the lifestyle is changing. Like it, the whole thing of like after work, just getting hammered every night. Some place, some people might be still doing that and stuff, but a lot of places, establishments, and whether it's maybe because of liability, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff might be changing. Um, you know, it's not often now people stay on site after they work and just, you know, secretly go behind the bar and all that. Um, but people like bartenders, I couldn't like, I, that's like working in a liquor store. I just, I, I couldn't do it. Does, I mean, as, as strong as I think my recovery is, I, I, why would I put, why would I put that on the line? Why would I test it like so diligently Right. as I'm, yeah, it's, it is rough. And, you know, I, and it makes me questions like, okay, of all the jobs in the world, you know, like you said, like, you know, you could have been in a bank or something. What is it about that? You just feel like you need to be a bartender now. It's, it's a slippery slope. I mean, God bless you if you do that and you, it's, that's your only way to pay bills. Okay. But that is rough. That's tough. And it, yeah, <laughs> that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so what made you transition out of, or want to transition out of, uh, out of the hospitality industry? Is this something that you wanted to do that it had to, did it have anything to do with being in recovery and, um, or did you just, your time expire? Uh, a bit from column A, a bit from column B, uh, Sandra. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know what? It's, 
I, I had, it's been, it was 25 years and I did train to be a chef and I had even taught at, you know, the, one of the chef colleges for a couple of years. Um, I had all the, you know, fine dining restaurants and I'd done catering, I'd done television, I'd done all sorts. I, I'd pretty much done everything that I would have wanted to do. And I think when I realized that, you know, I didn't want my boss's job, you know, I was always very ambitious when I realized I didn't want that. In fact, I was, I had lost the passion. Uh, that was, it was burning passion when I started. Um, I knew it was time to go and I couldn't figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And I kind of like, it was just struggling for a couple of years there. And, you know, at this time, I mean, you know, it, my wife had said, well, you know, I, I had gotten a call from someone, you know, um, speaking of Twitter, someone had called and I was talking to them and, and they were struggling. And after I got off the phone, my wife said, why don't you become a coach? And I was like, yeah. All right. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I, like, uh, which is, you know, my very open way of just being so receptive to new ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're spiritual for you. Um, and I said, nah, 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 but it planted a seed. And, and, you know, as I thought about it, Sandra, I thought, what is it that I enjoy about my job right now? And what I enjoyed was that I had or when people came to me with, with issues, when I had, there was two, two levels of leadership that reported to me. And I really enjoyed when they came and asked me on, you know, how do I deal with this? How do I, and so it was mentoring and guiding that I really enjoyed. And then I thought back of when I was cook, when I was uh, teaching at the college, it was teaching and it was working with students and it was, it was, you know, building skills and, you know, especially with soft skills and, and, and how to be and how to comport yourself and all that. And then it brought me to recovery where I was sponsoring men and working with people and talking with them and all the one-on-one. And, and then when I looked at the grand scope, the, you know, the podcasting and the, the writing and all, it was all communication. It was all um, one-on-one. It was all about um, just helping and being of service and, and taking them from point A to point B. And, and so it all kind of came to me one day and I said, yeah, you know what? I think coaching would be, that's, that's where my passion is. And so I started, I looked into a few things and, uh, I, uh, started studying last, last March, not this March, the last year. And it was a 10 month. It was very intensive. It's a very thorough, very intensive, uh, teaching. And that took about 10 months. And, uh, in the meantime, I was working full time. So it was, it, I got jammed up a few times. Mm. Uh, and then in September I I'd left, I gave my six weeks notice. I gave him lots of time. And, uh, since then it's been amazing, you know, and I just enjoy it. I love it. I'm, I'm up at like four 30 every morning because I want to, because oh, I, wow. I, I enjoy doing content and putting stuff out and, you know, I created the, this second blog, uh, second podcast and putting content on, on, you know, social media and, and reaching out to people still and all that. And just really forming this thing that's going on for me, like really putting it together and trying to draw all the strings into one and, and tying it up. And so it's something that it, it just speaks to me at all levels, spiritual, mental, you know, uh, emotional and seeing the results that people uh, get is it's, it's like the biggest buzz than you know, drinking vodka ever did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, mm -hmm. that's where I, that's where I sit now. It's, it's so great to be observing and watching people just change in all sorts of ways and just mm -hmm. kind of being there to facilitate a little bit, but really just letting, they do the work 
and they're in charge of their lives. It's not about giving advice. Don't do that. It's, it's, it's getting them to see, to, to, to find the answers within that they're already there. Oh, wow. I could see how you would be really good at that. Now, did you, I mean, did you get clients right away? This is sort of inside baseball, but um, (laughs) did you get, did you get clients right away? Or I I mean, was there ever like a crisis of, of what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Or did you just launch right? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, there, there have been occasions where I'm like, Oh my God, do I have to go back to being a chef? And then I'm like, no, there's like, there's nothing about it that is people say, do you miss? I'm like, no, not at all. Not one. It's not like 0.1 of a percent that I miss it. Not, not at all. Um, there, you know, I did get, I started to get some clients, um, maybe a a month after, or I, I had been talking to people and then I think I started getting them like a month or two after, and it's been snowballing since, and uh, I've been I've been changing kind of who I'm approaching, and so you know the one thing that I I had sort of um, battled um, or thought of is because I do work with with people in addiction recovery. Now that is you know there's there's this thing, especially in twelve step, where. And I don't, I don't necessarily call myself a recovery coach. That's I'm, I'm, I do more transitions. So transitions work in life transitions. Right. So I have everyone from retirees, new retirees to students, you know, trying to figure out where they want to go and what they want to do in themselves. Life work balance people, um, people losing, you know, in, in work transitions, like the promotion or job loss, all those kind of things. So people just kind of dealing with the question of what now. And there's a lot of loss of confidence and self, there's self-doubt and all that kind of stuff. So I work with people through that. Um, but addiction recovery has always been there. Like it's always like teased me, like, you know, and, and I, and I had to think about this, Sandra, because if there's again, like a concept, there's a thing where recovery coaches, they're frowned upon, right? Oh, it's, right. it's like, mm-hmm. well, we do this for fun and free because this is part of the spiritual component of the program and how dare someone make money uh, doing this. And so I had to, and I struggled with that and I resisted it. And, and so I've come to a place where it's not at all, it has nothing to do with, I don't work with people who are active. It's not, I don't do that. That's, they don't need coaching. They need a recovery program. They need, or professional intervention. They need something. Coaching is not it. So it's more like working with people who have got some, some time on their hands, who have who've got time on their feet, uh, anywhere from six months to two years, whatever, and still trying to figure out, and you know what it's like when you're, that first year is like you're a zombie and right. you're still trying to access your emotions. You're still trying to figure out, you know, cause you've, you've gotten rid of your life, your old life, the old playmates and play places. And, you know, and you're, and it feels kind of weird. It's boring. And it's, you know, it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And I, it's all these weird things that go on. So I, I, and I know what it's like, and especially with the emotional part and, and, and finding fun again and being creative again, people lose all that. And so that's where I, you know, I'd be working with people and that's how we do it. And I'm coming up with a group program for that. But I thought that's, I can help people. And I've had some clients already, you know, who, who are, uh, you know, maybe looking at the relationship with alcohol or people who have gotten some sober time and, and, you know, in conjunction with whatever has been keeping them sober. So it's in conjunction that now there's some more accountability and maybe some more insight and maybe some, some things that, they can look at and examine that'll strengthen and bolster uh, themselves and their recovery. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a great transition and, and, you know, it's been a lot of fun and it's just, you know, a lot of lessons. It's, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, solopreneur is, is very different from working in a kitchen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and then do you, you've, you, so your clientele is, they are exclusively in recovery. No, they're, they're yeah. not. I, I, I'd say about 80% are not in recovery. 20% are in recovery, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to open that up. And so, like I said, I have a group uh, coaching program that I'm working on developing. And so I'm going to open that up to more and more recovery people. So I'm, I'm always open to, to more uh, clients in recovery. Um, but it's not the only, uh, it's not the only people that I serve. But right. definitely, I'd like to open that up. And I'm slowly and I am opening that up and I'm getting the word out a little bit more. And so it, it, it's going to be, you know, that is going to be a transition itself. Mm-hmm. Just For you up. personally. Yeah. 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 Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Yeah, that's a big theme uh, for, you know, Tammy and I, upon building this podcast, we started a secret Facebook group as well. And now we have about 750 women in that group. And uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's a big question. Okay, I'm sober. I uh, feel sturdy. Um, And now what? And oftentimes those women too are off you know, they're, they're also in, in mid middle of middle age, mid age. So Mm -hmm. it's also another time. It's, it's like another opportunity to reflect on life and, um, possibly pivot or make some changes or, you know, change careers or, or carve out time now for, for things that we're passionate about or things that, that, you know, bring some meaning and purpose to our lives. Um, so yeah, it's a big, it's a big question, um, to answer. And it's such a beautiful thing to help and guide someone to come to that thing or that place where they do feel like, uh, that they, yeah, that they can fill some of those voids that alcohol, you know, consumed um, before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and that's exactly what it is. Like I, I recall about two years in, um, I, I felt good. I wasn't, you know, even a year in, I was like, okay, I feel pretty good with this recovery thing. I'm, I'm, I don't have to go to 600 meetings a day. <laughs> like I used to, right. like I'm, I'm, I'm actually now being able to enjoy the life that I, the second life that I've been given, but I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea. You know, I, I, I have a job and I have a family and other than that, I don't know anything else. And, uh, you know, and it took me time. Like it took me two years. I'm like, Oh, I think I'll just take up running. And I hadn't done anything physical, you know, so I started and I'm still a runner now and I've run two marathons since, and it's been fun. And I'm, you know, that, that was a big, big part of things, but there's a lot of people who are still, and I hear this all the time. It's like, I don't know what to do. I'm bored. Um, 
you know, I've heard in meetings, people say, I'm bored. I might even go back out. I'm like, are you, (laughs) no, don't Um, collect stamps, do something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, but you know, Sandra, that is a big question. It's kind of like, okay, I've got some time. I feel good about myself, but I don't, don't know now how to apply this to my life. How, how can I make this more fulfilling? How do I, well, how do I feel like you said that, that, that place where maybe alcohol used to go and I know I can contribute and I want to contribute and I want to, I want to build myself and I want to, you know, I want to really work on myself and, and give back to my family and community, whatever it is, all those things. But a lot of it's like, okay, but what now, how do I do that? And that's exactly what I work with people doing is, is, is getting to that and, and looking at things like their values and looking at uh, what drives them and, and also looking at the things that block them. I mean, recovery, we, boy, do we open up a can of worms. It's like mm-hmm. Pandora's box we open when we examine everything. And, and as we work through recovery, we're working through that. So we're still working through that. And we're still working on listening to those, those voices that don't, that say, I'm not good enough. I'm not thin enough, not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, all those things still come up. We're, we're still, we can be in recovery, but we're still human. And those things come across that cuts across everyone. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, the, the difference is with, with people in recovery is that the consequences are different, you know, for someone to go back to the substance or the act, whatever it is that, that can be life and death. Right. And so it's, it's important for us to really find our place and find our feet and, and do the things that, you know, call, call us and that, that really connect us to our higher selves. And it, it's wonderful when you can connect to that and you feel like, okay, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and um, you know, speaking of that, the life and death um, part of, of recovery, um, in your last Buzzkill pod, you, you um, focused on the, the topic of the sober curious movement and, and how I, I loved your, the things you had to say about, about that, all the, the, the New York times article followed by the Vox article followed by, I don't know, a couple of other articles that came out recently about sober curiosity, um, as a health trend, uh, versus, uh, an issue of life or death, (laughs) which are two different things. Uh, Mm -hmm. I loved what you had to say about that. Um, You know, uh, as soon as that article sort of hit the runway, um, I immediately felt responsible to jump into that group of women that I moderate, you know, 750 women, I feel, I kind of get a little mother hennish um, <laughs> over this group, right? Because I know that there are probably a lot of women in this group that are just sober curious and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. they are all welcome there, but I needed to state and make very clear that, uh, you know, the goal here is a hundred percent abstinence. Um, you know, just, just so that there's just to be clear, because, you know, if I had, I was trying to think about when I, uh, you know, first put down the drink, um, and sort of looked at this 
as something that I could possibly do, you know, forever. I know you're not supposed to use that language and you're supposed to it's take okay. it we're, we're amongst one, you can say one day at a time and all of that. <laughs> but I really had to say, no, Sandra, you, you need to, you need to think about this as something could I do this forever? You know, I mean, I, I had to give myself, um, some parameters in the beginning. Like I had to make a, I had to bargain with myself, Sandra, you're a, you're an adult. Let's try this for a year. And that's kind of what set me on the path. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know if, you know, this, this, the topic of sober curiosity would have come up when I first got sober and it was sort of splashed across the headlines with all of these really, um, I don't know, just attractive people talking about, uh, you know, having one sake a month or whatever that just would have given me permission right then and there to say, you know what, they can do that. And I should be able to do that as well. (laughs) Oh yeah. And of course that would have gotten me right back into, because I have a different relationship with alcohol than they do. Um, but you know, and you, and you, you said this, you said it very well. It's like apples to oranges, making that comparison with people that have, you know, that alcohol, that their relationship to alcohol is an addiction versus, uh, something that someone can take it, take or leave. Um, it's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. And it's, it's sort of like going back to the kitchen, you know, when we got someone that had like a a gluten allergy or, you know, peanut allergy or something like that, it's very serious. We know we've got EpiPens around and, you know, everyone knows how to use them and all that. Uh, when someone has a, a dislike or, you know, just, they don't like having it, they're on a diet uh, or a diet. Well, what, what, what happened, what you get a lot is, um, let's say it's onions right? and you don't like raw onions there. I, I don't know who started this is many, many years ago, but probably some magazine or someone said, Hey, you know what? Kitchens take restaurants, take, uh, allergies very serious. If you don't like raw onions, cause you know, you're going back to the office after lunch, uh, just tell them you have an allergy. Right. And uh, they'll go bend over backwards. And we do. We bend over backwards because we take this very seriously. And it's kind of like that sober curious, right? For, for the people who are experimenting with the sober curious or, or you know, probably know deep down they're maybe not uh, addicted to, to alcohol. They just want to, they just, you know, they want to sleep better and have more money in their wallet by the end of the week or whatever. Um, it's not it's a dislike or it's not a, or just, it's a lifestyle thing. It's just something that they, they, they don't want to invite into their body, just like those raw onions. Um, but for, for many people, it is, uh, it is life and death. Like people like yourself and me, um, it is life and death, but it's not to say that those two can't, you know, kind of be in the same room that we right that we can't sort of cohabitate. I know. And, and believe me, I don't poo poo the super curious movement at all. Um, oh. you know, in fact, I, uh, about this time last year, I was having, um, dinner with Erin Shaw street. Um, do you know her? She runs the media site, tell better stories. Um, anyway, she's a, she's a I've big, heard the story. I've heard, I've heard of that. I, I, I didn't yeah, know. Her, yeah. Yeah. She's know. a big, she's a big, um, 
she's just a, she's, she likes to draw attention to language around alcohol in media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, wouldn't it just be, wouldn't it be just, when we were sitting at a restaurant having a mocktail, you know, or a, a spirit free drink or whatever you want to call <laughs> it, uh, f- that we had ordered from a menu that had quite a few, uh, options as, as a selection. And they were really pretty, real pretty glasses. Um, we were actually, we even had a couple of different ones. There was like a sweet one and a save more savory one. And, and, um, but we were talking about how, wouldn't it be how, how the possibility seems, seemed real that non drinking culture could be normalized. Like, could it really? <laughs> and this was, you know, like I said, a year ago. So before this, um, before the onslaught of all the sober curious, uh, you know, articles in, in media, but, but yeah, it's like that. I mean, what a beautiful thing to where anybody could just be simply taking a break and have options when they go out or not, you know, if it's a female taking a break, not asked if she's pregnant or, you know, not being grilled a thousand questions that it's just normalized. Non-drinking is normalized. Like drinking has been normalized for so long. Um, What a beautiful, and it seemed like utopia just a year ago, but it could actually be a possibility. Yeah. How cool would that be? That right. it's it's not questioned, and you know, here in Toronto, here I mean, we have a very large multicultural um, community um, city here, and so for a lot of religious reasons, there's a lot of people that don't drink for that, mm-hmm. and so a lot of, and I'd say in the last two years, I'd say in in, the, in a lot of the restaurants, um, they are, you know, a paying customer is a paying customer, and so they have they have been uh, really re revamping just like sort of how vegan you know a lot of places now have a lot of vegan uh, offerings uh, there's a lot of you know spirit free or mocktail whatever it is you want to call uh, alcohol free uh, drinks and preparations and all sorts of stuff and um, I think it's becoming a little bit more widespread even just outside of the sober curious um, movement and you know and without the sort of like you said that whole thing of questioning and like, Oh, why, what's wrong with you? That kind of, you know, I don't know how much of that goes. I don't get that. I rarely get that. Um, maybe depending where you're at and, and who you're talking to and what context it is, you, you might, if you're at a frat party, you might get, you might get a few questions, right? Or, but, right. If you're going into happy hour and, you know, work oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think it, it, it definitely is a, you know, it definitely, I mean, I, I mean, I remember just going to parties when I was very, you know, when I very first was sober and, and walking around with a glass that was clearly non-alcoholic, like, cause there were not a lot of options at the party, you know? And so I was drinking a diet Coke or something and, you know, there was always that one person that would follow you around. Like, why are you, why are you drinking? <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and having to stumble on my words and all of that, you know, it's just, anyway, just having options. Options yeah. are, are a wonderful thing. And, um, 
so yeah, I mean, I see both sides to it too. And I'm certainly, I certainly did, didn't get all grumpy about it. Like some people did and, and, you know, tried to, uh, you know, my, my blood, my blood bleeds more red than, than you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't, you know, and I'll leave it at that, but leave it at this is, is, you know, we, it's, it's, you know, the idea was that, you know, when people were, were talking about sober curious and how it's trendy and all that, there were some people sort of like, well, you know, you're not, are you thinking about us, the people that, you know, can die if we drink? And, and I thought it was just, it's just the wrong approach. You know, it's, as I said in the podcast, it's sort of like if, um, if I have, um, you know, I decided I just want to cut gluten out for a while. You know, people, well, what about us celiacs? And you think about us? I'm like, no, I'm actually not thinking about you. I'm thinking about <laughs> trying to lose a few pounds so I can fit into my swimsuit. Um, it, it, one is not equate taking to the other. away and from the other thing. Yeah. No, it's not taking away from the fact that people like us can't drink versus people that choose not to drink. It doesn't take away from anything at us, about us at all. Nothing. It's, there isn't the two just don't like like you said, can cohabitate. And it's right. great. Let's all go out for mocktails. I you know, I I don't know. You may be able to switch it up on the weekends. I can't. And all the power to you. That's great. Um, but to to kind of ra- rage against the machine of that, it it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, that was quite a it caused quite a quite a ripple on the internet though. That was I I uh <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's for the interweb yeah i know i know after i read like one or two bits of commentary it was like okay i'm done <laughs> oh yeah I know what that's, I that's, about sparked, this, that's so. sparked that that podcast yeah i was like oh fodder <laughs> <laughs> well i encourage everyone to go listen to your last buzzkill pod because it was it was pretty good you had it oh thank you humorous takes on the memes and the the, all the merchandise. And and all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So do you think you're a sober influencer, Paul? <laughs> no, I don't No, I don't have my 28,000 followers on Instagram. Um, no, I, you know, it's such a weird, I'm not, I, I mean, you can listen to the podcast, but it, it is kind of a, an interesting thing. Any influencer, you know, of any, in any, kind of area it's uh it's such a strange beast it's so the social media thing is just uh it it changes too like you know just like algorithms on facebook and linkedin and all it's just a it's a moving landscape and you just never know how it's shifting and and you know recovery and sobriety and i i i make a difference between the two um often is um or abstinence um they it's just it's just shifting right now it's interesting to watch it's um it's it's a lot more a lot it's before it was a middle-aged person's game you know what i mean if you go down to the meetings and you see now it's a young person's game and it's all and it's just changing and, and they're bringing their energy with it and bringing their culture cultural sort of references and, and way of being to it and it's kind of cool like mm-hmm. i don't mind it like you know I my the the grandpa Simpson doesn't come out in me. I'm I'm surprised. It's just like, yeah, this is great. You know, like man yells at cloud, right? Like 
Um, I, I think it's great. You know, anything that we can kind of, in a positive way, um, spotlight what, you know, recovery and sobriety, and not everyone's going to be on the same page and that's okay, but there's room for lots of voices and, and, and room to open it up for those people that feel, especially younger, who feel pressured that they have to go to those frat parties. You know, there's people, young people who believe it or not, are not interested in drinking at all. Yeah, And it's not because religious or anything. It just don't, it's just doesn't appear. It's like some, not everyone wants to, you know, play little league. Like some people would just rather draw or, or write or whatever. It's just, it's just a new way of, it's just a different thing. Right. And I mean, you know, I mean, there's an argument to be made whether I would have latched onto it or not. But if, you know, if I would have seen more sober people enjoying their life without alcohol when I was in my twenties, who knows if that would have had an influence on me or not. You know, I, I just never saw that reflected back to me if I even looked for it. Yeah, I agree. And I was the same and it's, but so that's why I think it's just, uh, that's why I'm so happy to see it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> bring it. <laughs> bring it to me. <laughs> well, um, so you mentioned it at the top of the show, Paul, but you wrote a book. That's a huge, that's a huge undertaking, right? Are you going to write another book? Do you, were you, did you I, have one book in you? No, no, I can't, I can't, I can't be uh, talking to a creative and say there's no other book in me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's, there is another book, maybe more. It's, um, you know, Longing for the Spirit, it, it's, it was definitely labor of love, but it, you know, it, it was a lot of work and it took, took quite a while. Uh, to to compile it and put it together and and it's um, and I you know it's I, as I said I, I integrate it with my coaching I give it to my new clients for most of them um, you don't have to be in recovery to read it it's it's so it's not a it's not a it's not a memoir it's not a drunkalogue it's not a oh you know at three thirty in the morning I was in you know Paris and I was hammered and I was doing it it talks more about sort of the underlying things like the emotional what the spiritual but like everything you know we we can be either you know debtors or we can be sex addicts we can be gamblers we can be whatever it is Mm -hmm. but a lot of the underlying um causes and conditions are very similar so the circumstances might be circumstances is a a symptom of yeah yeah and right. we latch on to like I, I'm I'm a ter- like I, I I'd be a terrible gambler. I don't I don't do anything more than five dollars on the lotto. That's about that's my limit. Like I mean I, it doesn't attract me at all. But there's some people that that's what it. I was drawn to alcohol, same as you. Like we were just drawn to that, and, but the underlying cause and condition. So like fears and and you know confidence and self doubt and resentments and all those things. So I talk more about that because it's more universal. And, and again, you don't even have to be in recovery to, to, to catch on to what I'm talking about. And it's really coming from the place of, you know, coming through it. So it's looking back at, at instances, incidents in, in, you know, in my life, but just also, um, it's not, you know, chronolo- it's not chronological. It's just, you can, you can read anywhere, any, any little chapter, any, any little uh, blog post, essentially. And so it was great. It was, it was so great to have that out there and still to have that and to build on that. And so I think there is another book. Absolutely. I, it, the, the, the idea just kind of starting to really 
just it's it's like a light dust, a little sprinkle, a little, little starting to get there. I haven't figured it out yet, but it definitely would probably have to do with uh, some of the coaching stuff and mindset stuff. So essentially, some of the stuff that I'm building up on the the Longing for the Spirit podcast. So mm-hmm. it's all tied together. It's all coming. You know, I'm just gonna let it go, let it go with the flow, and let you know, spirit, universe, whatever it is, come to me and it'll, it'll come. What kind of writer are you, Paul? Are you a daily writer? Do you, if you have a, uh, are you better with a deadline where you have to like buckle down and really um, set aside the question. time? Yeah. I haven't written daily for, for a while now. That's because I don't have anything on the go, but I, I did a lot of fiction and that's something I used to do a lot of short stories. And I was a daily writer for, for, for quite a while. Um, nothing published, but it was just, I enjoyed it, but it is something that I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you've got me now thinking about it. Like what would it look like to introduce daily writing again? And that's something that, you know, I'm going to think about actually now that you've mentioned it. You're welcome. <laughs> so you planted a seed there, Sandra. It's a coaching session. You it is. What do I owe on you? your own. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when you wrote, so you're, when you wrote longing for the spirit, I know you had the bulk of it probably written. You said like on your blog, but did you have to, I mean, did you have to go away to a cabin in the woods and put it together? I mean, you are, you probably were working full time and you're a father and a husband and how did you, where did you find the time to, to write it? Oh, I would love a cabin in the woods. Right. Me. Especially when the kids are driving me nuts. Um, you know what? It was, uh, it was a lot more work than I thought because I thought I would just get these blog things together, but I, I really had to basically rewrite them all. So there was a lot. I wrote in what I call the cracks of the day. So mm-hmm. an hour here, the kids drop them off, let's say at the tutor or, or drop them off here. I have like half an hour at a coffee shop. I do that, bring my lap. My laptop went with me everywhere. And so, you know, get up a little bit early, stay up a little later. It's just, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's ass in chair, as they say with writing. It's just, it's discipline. It's not, you can't wait for inspiration or else you'll never get it done. Right. It's, it's work. And, and it can be really, you go on such an, talk about recovery being an emotional roller coaster. Writing is a big emotional roller coaster. And um, the same kind of things come up with that. Like, oh, who do you think you are? This, this is terrible, but, but, but all these kind of things. Um, but it took me, here's the funny thing is that I had stopped for six months. I was stuck. Mm. I could not, I wouldn't allow myself to get out of it. And of all the things I had some, I knew someone in recovery, she was a coach. And she said, she was bugging me for some time to, to coach me. I'm like, eh, no, what? I, I knew nothing about coaches. It's all ironic now. But mm-hmm. she said, okay. And then I mentioned I was struggling with my book. She said, okay, that's it. You're, I'm not taking no, I'm going to coach you. I'll give you six sessions on me. I'm like, okay. And guess what? I got out of my book. <laughs> like it was, it was awesome. And so it's funny how the coaching got introduced, how I experienced it long before I even thought of doing it. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's amazing. So that got me unstuck. And, um, and then after that, it just flowed out. And so it, 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 it's a process like any sort of, you know, creative work. It's sure there's inspiration, but, but it's, it's work and you need to really, and have a vision of it and, and see it and, and kind of stay in touch with spirit to, mm-hmm. to bring it to full fruition and where you, you see it needs to be. So it was a wonderful experience and I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing it again. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Most of it is chop wood, carry water. That's ninety-five yes. percent yes. of it, right? And Absolutely. then five percent is, 
you know, the divine is flowing through you and you are nothing but a conduit. And <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> and the words just tumble right out of you effortless, effortlessly. And uh, you can see your book right there on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, and yeah, but that's only about 5% of the time. If that, God. That, if yeah. that, if that. Uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And, and so did you publish it yourself or did you get an agent and go through tr traditional publishing? How did you do it? And I'm it was, it was, uh, curiosity. you know what they call it. It's, it's what they call indie publishing. So it's self-pub, mm -hmm. but I actually, I, 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 I hired a publisher. Um, so it's kind of like a hybrid publisher. And so they took care of everything. So all the stuff that a lot of, you know, that all self-publishers have to deal with, like formatting and cover art and all that's editing and all that, they take care of, they took care of everything. I just had to be there with part of the editing process and to, to be there with the cover art. And um, they took care of everything. Like just all the the, the ebook stuff, all the, the like it's all they took care of everything. So that was, uh, so that was kind of hired out, in essence. Okay, and, got it. Um, so that saved me trying to figure out how to learn all of that because I just didn't have time nor the interest. And they they know what they're doing. So it, it's uh, yeah, what a yeah, it's a great option. I didn't even know that. I guess I have. I'm not there yet. I'm working on something right now too, but I'm not there mm. yet. But what? That's a great option. I didn't even know existed that you could actually yeah, have yeah. somebody and, you know, to kind of do sort of like a a middle a middleman kind of yeah. Oh yeah, position. and there are, there are many that there are many that do that now. So you can you can say, hey, I'd like to. You know, they use vanity press, and I just I don't like that terminology but um you can find places that will say yeah we'll take it and they'll they'll throw in editors like you've got editing you know mm -hmm. except that you're 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 just paying for it um as opposed to the agent route and the traditional publishing that's a whole different thing like that is and that's a lot of time too like you just even getting an agent mm -hmm. is is a thing and you know learning how to do sub submission um queries and all these kind of things that you have to do for traditional publishing um in the end it's just it just takes longer here you just and it's just different it's just a different vibe but there is something about uh having gone through that process it's still a, very much the same process right. um and you you know with these places and you own it as well at least the one that i i own it and and so if, if a major uh publisher swooped in and took it there's that's it it's yours there's no they're not contesting it they, they don't own it and so they're just like it's like a printing service it's like you just go here's my thing print it obviously a lot more steps involved um but uh they were great you know it was a really really good relationship and um that is if, if you really want to get out there but also make it look polished because it, it looks polished no it does yeah for sure yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. I might be hitting you up about more information about this. Absolutely. I know but so. yeah, that's great. And um, yeah, because yeah, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like you DIY'd it or anything like that at no, all. Like, not at not no, at the all. The only part I took care of was the words in between. Right, but then you just have to do the job of selling the book. Yes, and so and and you know that that is that is what they you, you, there's some places well actually i know like some people that do this and and part of their thing is they'll 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 show you marketing and how to market but you know most again with creatives in general um many of us don't like marketing don't like 
you know, kind of tooting our own horn and getting out in people's, uh, no. in, in people's grill. No, um, it's hard. I'd rather it's not. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I've learned through, I, the funny thing is I really, I, I didn't like that stuff, but now as a coach and, and doing, uh, social media and all that. Now I love marketing. I love talking about marketing. I love reading about marketing. I, I help other, I help other people with marketing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm new uh, and I'm not becoming a marketer, but it's very important, especially an entrepreneur. And again, if I knew what I knew now back then, I definitely would have made a push for the book in a different way. I mm-hmm. definitely would have gone out a, a much different. I was actually quite meek about it. I, I kind of, uh, it was almost like, well, I'm, I'm done. Okay. And <laughs> kind of right, helping everyone. Right. Self-deprecating. Like, yeah, I guess it's okay. Yeah, no, it's okay. Oh, I just, I just wrote a book and, yeah. and now, and now over the side, like I'm, now I'm fiercely proud of it. Now I'm really excited talking about it and I'm really, and I wasn't then because it was coming, it was that transition of coming out of creating this and, and you're really proud, but now it's out into the universe. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, now what? <laughs> Yeah, you have to wear the title and everything writer, yeah. you know, but you published a book. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a, there's, it's more than just uh, surface level, you know, s- making the business card. It's more than just making the business card. Oh, it's more it's, after your yeah. name. <laughs> Oh, for sure. And it's getting in front of people. And for an introvert like me, it's like, oh, I got to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> but now I do it. That's like, that's my job <laughs> is to talk to people. So I picked something that was very, you know, uh, direct opposition to, you know, sort of my personality. Oh, isn't it interesting what can happen when we challenge those, those, those old stories we talk about oh, this yeah. a lot that we've really mm. stuck by. Um our whole lives, you know, oh no, that's not me. Well, is that, is it not you? Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you be like on. if you didn't have, it's like that. What would you be like if you didn't have that thought? Right, right, right. Exactly. You'd be a person that published a book and is, you know, owning it, selling it, touting it, pushing it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I have loved our conversation, Paul. Is there anything that you uh, want to talk about? I'm going to, um, I'm going to let you push all of your <laughs> offerings, uh, podcasts, all that stuff. Um, at the very end, um, I want to you to, uh, I'm, I, I sort of springed it on you at the very last minute because I forgot because normally Tammy is so good about doing the pre-show correspondence and so good about reminding our our guests about the unruffled toolbox items and I happened to spring that on you five <laughs> minutes before we started recording this before we get to the toolbox items Paul is there anything else you is there any other burning desire that you have Oh, my stars. Um, you know, yeah, it has been such a good conversation and it's gone by so quickly. I, uh, I'm shocked. And so thank you for the, the space and, and the time here, Sandra. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, you know, we, we've talked about the book and, and can I give like sites and stuff? Am I allowed to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Oh my Please gosh. It's like a, 
slate here. Um, okay, so for for the coaching, and again, I I, I coach transition and, and uh, people in addiction recovery. We talked about sort of the the what now part. Um, all the information is on www.paulsilvacoaching.com. Uh, mm-hmm. um, any the longing for the spirit, the book, and the podcast is all the information is at www.longingforthespirit.com. And Buzzkill, the recovery podcast, is at uh, buzzkillpod.com. Um, you know, I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. I don't have my handles, but uh, I'm sure if you look, uh, that's we'll put, where I- I'll I, put them in the show notes. Okay, thank you. I predominantly well. live there and I'm very active. I post daily. Um, you know, maybe some point I'll, I'll start a group. You've inspired me. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start a group. You should. Um, I should. I know. Um, I'll have to pick your brain about that. Um, and I can be the mother hen. Um, uh, so that's, you know, that's where predominantly all the information for, for the podcast and the book and, and all that. So please check that out. And, um, uh, for the, the toolkit, I can, I can talk toolkit now. Yes, you can. So for our listeners, this is the part of the show where we uh, ask our guests to share with you guys three items from their Unruffle toolbox. So that's anything recovery or creativity related that keeps you, I don't know, on the path, less agitated, uh, coping, uh, unruffled. unruffled there we go we got it right in there we made the tie i love it (laughs) good work um okay so the three things that that popped up uh for me um first and foremost i have i have a morning routine and i and and i always encourage my clients that to to have a morning routine but the, the most important one is the gratitude and i know you probably talked about it a million times um but what I do with my gratitude is I, I have a, a pad and I write the 10 things that I'm most grateful for and, and 10 things that I, I'm really emotionally connected to. So think of 10 things that you're emotionally connected to. And it can be as little thing as like, you know, your youngest kid's laugh or the cup of coffee in your hand or, but it's a, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be like my house and my country or my spouse, whatever. You can put those, but, but make them really um, something that you're emotionally attached to. And then once you've written your 10 things, sit with that for about five minutes, right? Like really, and ask for guidance in the day. This is nothing to do with religion. It's just, just, you know, spiritual, just what, what, what comes to you, you know, tap into your intuition. What do you need for the day? And think about all those things that you're grateful for. Then this is the fun part. (laughs) This is where people like, really send love or peace to two people that really annoy you. Oh yeah, that's so. Good. Do that. So after you do your gratitude, not think of two people that really annoy you. Those those people at work or people your neighbor, whatever it is, someone that really annoys you. Send them love and peace. And it's gonna be hard at first. It's gonna be very hard, but as you start to do it, you'll you'll find that you're actually looking forward to it, and actually you're gonna feel it. You're actually gonna like be real about it. It's like I, you know, I really I really do wish you know you know Rebecca in accounts receivable. You know, I I wish her well you know, whatever it is. Right. So that's one thing I do every morning. It's very important. And that has, that alone for a lot of my clients has changed their outlook completely. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what do you think is the direct benefit of doing that? Practicing that? Yeah. So the gratitude, yeah, the gratitude, what it is, is, is it's not only being grateful for what you have, it it keeps in a positive mindset because you are focusing on, on positive things rather than the negative. So when you're focusing on what you do have rather than what you're lacking, 
what you don't have or what you think you don't have, then that shifts your, your, your perception throughout the day. So you start looking at, you start looking less at negative and more at positive. And so then that starts to, to blossom out. So it, it, it's just a repetitive thing. Like you've got to, you got to, it's like a practice, like yoga or whatever it is. You, you've got to build, it's a practice. And, and you just find that after time, um, you know, you're not as agitated. You're not as upset. You, you see things just differently. You're not as worked up. You're not jumping to conclusions. You're, so all these things are coming from that place of gratitude because he's like, you know, I, I've got things. I'm good. You know, jealousy comes down, envy, all these things. And it, it, as you do this more and more and more, you, you just find it, it just builds. And you're just looking, you're just focused more on positive. Right, right. Because resentments are toxic Ooh. to, to mm-hmm. people in no recovery, bueno. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I do, and this is the creative side. So you asked me earlier if I did like daily writing, not necessarily um, fiction or something like that. But what I do, I'm sure you know the morning pa- paper, morning pages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a shortened version of that. So if, if you want to kind of clear out the clutter uh, in the morning, I might do uh, morning pages, usually two, three minutes. I can't remember how long they used to be, but um, you know, even five, 10 minutes of just, just writing in not typing writing. And I just do a very shortened version. Like, you know, it's sometimes three minutes or five minutes and I just write out whatever, whatever comes to mind. doesn't matter if it sounds like gibberish. doesn't matter if it makes no sense, makes any sense. Um, I just write. And then what it does, it, it, it clears out anything that any thoughts that I might be holding on to or any ideas that may have cropped up and all that. And I just get it out. And, and again, that helps to, and then what I would do after is meditate, but that is one way to, to get it. And sometimes you find a nugget in there or two. And that was the, the point of the morning pages. I just do a shorter version of it. And so again, if you're on the creative side, that can help to sort of, um, you know, loosen any ideas or to, to, you know, to build up on any ideas or just if you're not, not in creative space. Um, and by the way, we're all creative no matter what. Right. We believe um, that as well. Yes. And so it, it, it just sparks things. I just find when you're just doing this, you know, uh, just writing, the act of writing connects you to spirit. Mm, and so mm-hmm. just doing that and get things. So I do that. And that also helps uh, on the creative part and also just to, to clear out the mind. Mm-hmm. And just get rid of some of the stuff that I'm hanging on to that I might use the energy on doing that. Right. And do you use a pen and a journal or do you do it on the computer? No, I don't type. I, it's, there's something about the physical, something about actually writing mm-hmm. that changes things. Yeah, and I agree. And so it is a pen and a pad. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that, that there is that, that tactile, that sort of um, flow, literally li- and figuratively, there's a flow to it. Yeah, I agree. All yeah. right. That's a good one. And the last three. one is just it's very simple, just uh, getting out, walking. You know, I'm a runner, but there's times where um, I'll just literally walk around the block if, if I'm really busy. I might just go around the block. But there's something about walking that you're, you're moving your body, so you're tapping into mind, body, spirit. Um, but there is something about, you know, it's like you get those shower thoughts. You know, there's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, we call them the sh- I call them the shower epiphanies or the shower, the shower down. Pit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we get that when we're kind of in a mindless, like we're letting just our lizard brain just you know we're just doing something. We don't have to think about it, right? Subconscious. Right. So same thing with walking, and 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 you know without 
headphones, nothing, not looking at your phone. It's just walking a little bit and then just observing what comes. And it's amazing when I'm stuck on something. And again, this could be used for creatives. When you're stuck on something, uh, just walking undisturbed, it's amazing what comes. And so many problems that when we ask the question beforehand, how can I do this? How can I do that? We let our subconscious, the, the, the subconscious is an amazing thing. It starts working on the problem, even though we're doing our, our daily tasks. But we have to also give the space to, to hear the response. And so for some people, that's meditation. That's something I do as well. But going for a walk is just also the physical act. Kind of gets you, it, it just, there's something there. And, and a lot of times then I'll, I'll jot something down when I get home. Or it'd be like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. But it was always there. So mm -hmm. that, that's another thing I do as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah. And sometimes you, you, do you find that you can't get home fast enough to write something down? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happens to me a lot with that, that exact exercise or, you know, the, the shower download as well. Like I can't get out of the shower. Shower download. I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know why it's the shower for me, but that's, that's where the, the big, the big epiphanies happen. Like they turn into a newsletter or a blog post or, you know, something that I feel like I want to share usually is it, they, they come in the shower. I don't know. <laughs> I'm clearing uh, I'm clearing out the debris all, all the way around. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, Paul, this has been just lovely. And I know that our lovely. listeners are going to love hearing from you and they're going to go, if they don't already know who you are, they're going to go look you up on all your social media and you're still on Twitter, right? Did we cover that part or no? I'm on Twitter. Yeah. It's more of a personal account. It's, I, okay. I you know, yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't even know what I call it. You don't really market there. You no, just... I don't. It's people join. I mean, if you, if you, if you're on Twitter and you just do hashtag recovery policy, you'll, you'll probably find me in there. Somewhere. Yeah. 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 Um, well, thanks Paul. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. Oh, thank you. This has been marvelous. I, I really enjoyed this. I've like, been really looking forward to this and it was, it was so much fun. Thank you, Sandra. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Take care. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.